Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. In early 1943, while the Battle of Stalingrad raged thousands of miles away, US government officials explored the hotel room of a recently deceased scientist. They were looking for the plans to a weapon that could change the war. They were looking for a death ray. The death ray did not exist. But there was enough doubt that federal officials thought it wise to assess the thousands of notes and sketches that had been made during the scientist's lifetime. After their assessment, the notes were locked away, leading to a persistent conspiracy theory that there had been a death ray and that the US government was covering it all up. The notes had belonged to a man who in many ways embodied the American dream, the golden age of science and the modern image of the eccentric inventor. He had been one of the most famous men not only in America but in the world. He laid the groundwork for many of the technologies that we take for granted today and contributed to many more. In the decades that followed his death in a room in the Hotel New Yorker on January 7th, 1943, the scientist has gone from virtual obscurity to international celebrity, the namesake of high-powered electric sports cars and a major international airport. So today on American History 2, we explore the life, times and legacy of the man who supposedly invented the electrical age, Nikola Tesla. Hello and welcome to the 23rd episode of American History 2. I am Mark McClay and as per usual, I am joined by my good friend Malcolm Craig. Hello Mark and hello everyone out there who's listening. Yes, so today we are going to be discussing a topic that I think we promised that we would do a podcast on all the way back when we did an episode on the Gilded Age, and who doesn't remember that podcast? It was one of the most exciting. Um, And it's only taken us about 16 months to get around to doing this podcast on, as you've already mentioned in the opening vignette, Nikola Tesla, a man who's sort of very much on vogue just now, I think. You you mentioned the, the sports car company named after him. Um, and it's also sort of on vogue to call him just now the sort of the inventor of the electrical age. But before that all came around, Malcolm, you have always had a particular interest in Nikola Tesla. Uh, yeah, that's right. I mean, Tesla, despite being, you know, in many ways forgotten uh, for several decades, and we'll come back to why that is, has now become almost this iconic cult figure. I mean, some regard him uh, as, refer to him as the greatest geek who ever lived, and others see him as a mysterious magician who hid all these greatest secrets away from prying eyes, despite the fact he was a great showman. Uh, he's been incorporated into numerous conspiracy theories, appeared in films and television series, and aside from that, he's also an incredibly significant figure in the history of science and invention, and an individual who, who did make many of the conceptual breakthroughs that went on to underpin our modern electrical world. Yet he also had beliefs and values that 
I think we would find uncomfortable today. Uh, he firmly believed, in, for example, in eugenics and selective breeding. And his ideas about women have been incorporated into the belief systems of some so-called men's rights activists. So he's, I mean, I think he's fascinating because he's so complex, so contradictory, and so open to each individual kind of placing their own interpretation on him. Kind of like a secular electrical Jesus. A secular electrical Jesus. Secular electrical Jesus. Well, we I'm might very, have to come back to that. I'm and very you proud have to explain that. yourself. I think that's that. going to be the name of the podcast. That, yeah. that works too much. So before we get into the life and times of uh, Nikola Tesla, it's opening question time. And uh, we had a few good suggestions this week, one of which has been stolen from us by the US Treasury Department. Paddy suggested, as we mentioned in a previous podcast, that we discuss who we would like on the new $20 bill note, uh, which uh, women in American history and... The US Treasury beat beat us to it, I think it was yesterday or on Wednesday they announced that Harriet Tubman A great uh, choice Yeah, the great abolitionist and humanitarian would receive the honour and I don't think either of us are up for arguing against that choice I don't think you can So today's question, uh, which we received in an email and uh, just to repeat the email address it's ah2ahtoo at outlook.com We received a question from Paul in California and um, California is actually where we are most popular in America which I'm sure has nothing to do with the fact that there are like 12 million more people in California than any other state and more to do with the fact that California just loves us. Um, Mm -hmm. So, opening question, and I like this one. Which film do you think best captures a time and period in American history? Ooh, that is a good question. Uh, I would plump for uh, The Conversation from 1964, the brilliant uh, Coppola film uh, about Gene Hackman as this Harry Call, this surveillance expert, who records a conversation. The film goes through the process of trying to filter and find out what this conversation's about. And it's about paranoia and surveillance and, you know, do we know if we're being watched and the, the paranoia of the type. And I think if someone wants to see a film that encapsulates Nixon's America, the era of Watergate and the paranoia of the 1970s, watch the conversation. Okay, interesting choice. Uh, I was going to go for Rebel Without a Cause as a sort of a good representation of 1950s America, but I'm actually going to go a bit more controversial. Uh, I'm going to say The Birth of a Nation. In 1916, I believe it comes out, um, the incredibly racist interpretation of the Reconstruction period where the Ku Klux Klan um, are the heroes in the story. Oh, sorry, is it 1915? 1915, um, and Woodrow Wilson has, you know, the president at the time has a screening of it in the White House famously. And I think between 1900 and 1920, like the 1900 to 1930, like America's a very, there's a lot of racial and religious, like nativism characterizes that period in terms of uh, relations with different races and with different, with immigrants and everything. And I think the, the birth of a nation captures this age of intolerance in American society, um, I would argue. But it is, I mean, it's a landmark piece in the history of cinema. And it's also, that also captures the growth, you know, this is the beginning of the cinema. Of, cin- of cinema, yeah, cinema yeah. as a medium. So, I mean, despite the fact it's, un, you know, it displays many abhorrent values and all, it's an incredibly valuable piece of work. Like, you know, you can look at it as a significant cinematic moment alongside stuff like Lenny Riefenstahl's Triumph of the Will. Despite the fact it's propaganda for the Nazi party, it's an important moment in cinematic history and cinematic technique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, moving on from the opening question, and thanks again for that, Paul. Um, before we get on to talk about Tesla, the man himself, I, I was kind of I was struck when I was uh, you know 
do do some reading on this. Why why is this era, uh, the, the Gilded Age, the sort of late nineteenth century? Why is it the age of inventors? In a sense, you know, you've got obviously Thomas Edison is the biggest name around. Then you've also got Marconi who invents the radio. Um, you've got Alexander Graham Bell and the telephone. You know, you've got all these great big names, and you've you've also got you know who we we're going to discuss today, Nikola Tesla. So, what is it about this this era that lends itself to these famous inve- inventors? I'd suggest three main things. Uh, one is the progress of scientific discovery over the past, let's say, couple of centuries. Uh, you know important figures that have made fundamental discoveries in terms of the way that the world works, especially in physics and chemistry and all that kind of thing. And they are ongoing through this period. So not long you know, before you know, Tesla comes about, you have the, the fundamental work of the great Scottish physicist, uh, James Clark Maxwell, uh, who comes up with many of the, the ideas that go on to greatly inspire, for example, Albert Einstein. And Einstein famously said that he couldn't have done any of his work without the work that Maxwell had done. Uh, and there's a statue to Maxwell at the end of Edinburgh's George Street. A lot of people don't realise oh. who it is. Uh, so it's a, a time of where there's been a whole series of important scientific discoveries over the, the previous couple of centuries. I also think that, in many ways, tied to that, industrialization, industrialization and the creating of modern manufacturing, uh, urbanisation, all these kind of things, and also money, especially in the United States, there is money floating about. You know, some of the great figures, the robber barons in air quotes, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Vanderbilt, Morgan, uh, Carnegie, have money. They have huge amounts of money. The first multimillionaires and billionaires and all these kind of things. So there's there's money around to fund invention and science. Yeah, because I suppose I mean it's not like today where you would have. You know, many scientists would be working out of a university. You know, these guys need to have, you know, backers like your Morgans and your Rockefellers and things to fund their work. I mean, there are, I mean, there's a huge number of scientists working in the universities, coming up with important things. But it's also the type of inventors like Tesla who work, and Edison, who work outside of the university system. Mm -hmm. And that's where the money comes in. Okay, no, uh, I mean it's just it's just quite an interesting. It's one of those things where you, you don't quite know why all these different things have, have met at the same time. So to to look onto t- Tesla himself, I mean, so so he's born in eighteen fifty six, dies nineteen forty three. So he's alive for a very long time mm. and, and through a lot of different events. But as a man who very much has the peak of his fame, sort of late nineteenth century, the height of his powers. Yes. Yeah. Um, then, so do you want to tell us a wee bit about? Uh, Tesla's background, you know, where is he from? Obviously, his name doesn't sound quintessentially Anglo-Saxon American style. Um, is he the? It sounds like he's sort of the rags to riches American dream story. Or is is that is that the case? Almost actually. I mean, he's uh, Tesla's a Serb, uh, but born in what is now Croatia, but back then uh, was part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, so almost the borderlands of the Austro-Hungarian Empire, and his. Ancestors had moved from Serbia to that part of the Balkans in about the you know 1690s, roughly, uh, is the, the time period. And so he's ethnically Serbian, but living in, as I said, what is now Croatia and is part of the Austro-Hungarian and Empire. The Serbians very much claim him as their own, don't they? Did you say, you know, he's getting an airport named he's, after him in Serbia? Be- Belgrade's international airport is Nikola Tesla International Airport. So he's, he's, a, he's a source of, for Serbia... Uh, Tesla is one of the great figures in their history, uh, quite justifiably so. Uh, but yeah, so he's he is 
he is kind of comes from this kind of like you know ethnically and culturally complex part of the world at this part in time. So his father Milutin uh, was a a priest in the Serbian Orthodox Church. Uh, I, he was actually something of a a reformer. He encouraged uh, literacy, uh, particularly as a route to social and political progress. Uh, so he was, you know, something he, he encouraged education. His uh, his mother Juka, uh, she was the she was the daughter of a priest, and actually on her side of the family, uh, several of Tesla's uncles were very very successful. His uncle Nikolai was Archbishop of Sarajevo. Uh, his uncle Pio uh, was a high ranking officer in the Austrian army, and I can only apologise for mispronouncing <laughs> so many of these names and places. I will. For anyone who is from Serbia or Croatia or anything, I can only apologise. You've definitely got Nikola Tesla right. I think te- I think Tesla's right. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, Tesla was a he was a tinkerer and inventor from a very early age. Uh, the claim is that he first encountered static electricity while stroking the family's black cat, oh. and the sparks come off the cat, and he was like, oh, Tesla was like, oh, this is interesting. I wonder how this came about. Uh, and during his childhood, he also had he's always, he always claimed to have a very very powerful imagination. And there's something to be said for the fact that Tesla, as a as a child, and then even later in his life as an adult, sometimes found it difficult to make that you know distinction between dreams and imagination and reality. Mm-hmm. You know the things because he had such a an active mind, such an eidetic memory, a brain that was always thinking. But he could conceptualize stuff in his head. He could come up with inventions in his head and work out how they would work. Mm-hmm. The distinction between reality and the imagination was somewhat blurred for Tesla. On te- on Tesla's background, does Tesla consider himself? Because obviously, as we're sort of talking about him as well as being an American inventor, does Tesla consider himself an American? Uh, well, he becomes a naturalized American citizen uh, in the eighteen nineties. Uh, so he, he does he does become an American citizen and sees himself as American, but he's also has his Serbian roots mm-hmm. and everything. And, you know, he moves to the United States in uh, 18, 1884. Uh, I mean, inter- I mean, Tesla's kind of history before he arrives in the US is is kind of interesting as well. It was 1863, I think he was seven years old when his, his older brother, Dana, uh, who was expect he was expected to be the great success of the family. Dana was the one that they'd pinned all their, their hopes on, was killed, uh, being kicked by one of the family's horses. Uh, so his father, Malutin, uprooted the family uh, from uh, the town of Smiljan, where Tesla had been born, which is in the countryside, to the larger town of Gospic, uh, which was much more urban. Uh, and this kind of like took Tesla away from the countryside, which he loved. You know, oh. He wasn't just in- interested in inventing, he loved the countryside and being out in the country and encountering nature and all that kind of thing. Okay, so you've given Tesla the big build-up, you know, the, the opening vignette and everything, the death ray man and everything, but what... What does Tesla actually achieve? Can you point to some solid inventions? You know, there's this great inventor. He must have easy to discuss inventions. Okay, so over the period before he arrives in the US, he studies engineering at Graz in, in Austria. He then goes on and goes on through a variety of jobs. He ends up working for Edison's Thomas Edison's lighting company in France as a technician and engineer. And then he emigrates to the United States in 1884, arriving, as so many immigrants do, in New York, Penniless, all that kind of thing. Uh, ten years later, he's wealthy and incredibly famous and all that kind of thing. Uh, what, what does he do? And I think this is one of the things, reasons why Tesla is sometimes forgotten, you know, was forgotten for a long period. I never knew who he was until so, you mentioned him in the last what did, what did Thomas Edison invent? 
the light bulb. No, he didn't. What did Marconi invent? <laughs> the radio. No, he didn't. What did uh, Alexander Graham Bell? See, I don't want to answer at this point. The telephone. Well, he made a lot of contributions to it. But the thing is, we can, all these other inventors, we can go, well, they invented that. It doesn't matter if they didn't strictly invent them. They were going on the work of others and also contributing their own stuff and all that kind of thing. But we can go, well, they invented that. We remember them because they're they're associated with that really important invention. Tes- so you're, you're telling me Tesla doesn't invent anything. Tesla, well, why are we doing this podcast? Te- Tesla is much more complex because if you go to someone, well, Tesla actually came up you know, with the, the basic principles, principles of the uh, polyphase alternating current motor and generator. And, you know... Sorry, I just fell asleep. Uh, well, well, exactly. Uh, I mean... Tesla came up with a system for generating, transmitting, and making use of alternating current for lighting and power. That was his really major contribution. And one of his major parts of that was the AC electric motor. Now, he was not the only scientist working in this field. For example, the Italian Galileo Ferraris was working on similar stuff. He did develop the systems that would form the underpinnings of our modern AC electrical system. And these are the electrical systems that the lights in your home and your office the electric motors that power Tesla sports cars, the electric motors and generators that are used all over the world to create power and to use power to power things, principles that were established by Tesla. Okay, so I want I want to take a detour down into Edison versus Tesla at this point because I think when you get into AC, you can't talk about AC without talking about DC. You know, mm. so AC DC is the best way to think about this debate here. Um, so Thomas Edison is obviously well. I, I, maybe you're going to tell me he didn't invent DC. He probably just marketed it or something. I'm I'm scared to make comments now in this regard. Um, so in in layman's terms, what's the difference between AC and DC? And then I want to talk a bit about Tesla and Edison. Okay, without without getting into the the uh, the science of it, which you know I'm terrible on. I failed physics at school. <laughs> How I developed an interest in Nikola Tesla, I have no idea. On its, most sim- on its most simple thing, with DC, you need a lot more power stations, and it's very it's harder to transmit over a distance. AC has the advantage. You can transmit it over long distances through wires. Is, AC, not, is AC safer as well? Is, is there not a moment where Nikola Tesla sort of runs AC electrical currents through his body just to prove how safe it is. Yes, and yeah, you yeah. can't do that with DC. He, he runs, he runs high voltage current uh, through his through his body. Uh, oh, he discovers this accidentally. Actually, he, he shocks himself, and then we're, we're like, and it's, it's, I think it's called the skin effect, where the the current essentially flows over a surface mm-hmm. rather than passing through a body. So yeah, essentially, AC is a much better system for for like widespread use of power. So why why does DC exist at all if AC is better? Well, because, I mean, this was a time where nobody had, in this period, no one's, dis- actually, this is a point of great, as we talked about, great invention and great change. No one's quite worked out what's the best thing to do. You know, because things are changing, principles aren't fully established yet, systems aren't fully established yet. No one's entirely sure what's the best system to do. And there's it's like the competition between, uh, you know, when videotape was first introduced, VHS and Betamax. I'm too young for You're that. You're too young for that, okay. But VHS and Betamax, two competing yeah. systems that did roughly the same thing, both come out at the same time, both have their advantages and disadvantages. One eventually gets adopted as the system and the other falls by the wayside. Not again. Now, DC is still used in several applications. It's not an yeah. old hat kind of thing. But AC becomes the basis of mass power transmission. 
But they've not decided what's the best. And Edison is a big proponent of DC. Yeah. Because he's invested a lot in, you know, DC for, for lighting and various other things. George Westinghouse is the AC guy. Right, okay. So let's get into this Edison versus Tesla sort of thing. Because I think many people who grow up will hear, hear all about Thomas Edison. You know, I know I certainly did. You know, Edison's just one of those names, you know, when you think of, you know, the light bulb, which you've just told us we're all wrong to think that. Is it fair? And I know Tesla worked for Edison for a while and then took the huff when he when he when he didn't feel appreciated enough yeah, by Thomas well. Edison and stormed off and said, "I'm not working for you anymore." Um, but how? Why, why is why is Thomas Edison going down in the history books as this great inventor that we all learn about in school? Um, whereas Nikola Tesla is sort of taken, it's not until the last 10 years or so that he's sort of revived. And it, it can't just be the light bulb thing, there's got to be more to no, than that. No, no. Uh, I mean, the thing is, the war of currents wasn't really between Edison and Tesla, it was really between Edison and Westinghouse. Okay. They were the, they were the two major figures in this entire thing. Tesla was part of it. Edison was a great publicist. He was a great you know, showman, self-publicizer. He was good at taking ideas and marketing them. He was a great marketing man. You shouldn't take away from Edison and the contributions he made to invention and our modern world. He wasn't a great inventor like Tesla, but he still made major contributions. And there's often been the thing that, that some Tesla boosters will say that, oh, well, the reason we forgot Tesla is because Edison was a big showman and all that kind of thing. He dominated things. Well, actually, Tesla was easily the equal of Edison in terms of showmanship and being a performer and demonstrating his inventions to the world to try and get funding, mainly. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, Tesla did all these big demonstrations and all these things. Anyway, so, but Te- Edison was a great showman. Mm-hmm. He did do all these big demonstrations, very popular, all that kind of thing. Yada, yada, yada. One of the turning points is actually uh, the 1893 Columbian Exhibition in Chicago. The great, the the white city that Mm -hmm. was created in Chicago. And uh, they create the first Ferris wheel appears. Because they were like, right, okay, we need to beat Paris. They've got this Eiffel Tower walking. (laughs) This guy Ferris has got an idea. That sounds good. So the Ferris wheel, but it was lit. There was a competition between Westinghouse and Edison over who would light the great white city of the exposition. And Westinghouse underbid Edison by a vast amount and essentially got to install Tesla AC lighting and motors and all that kind of thing and made a a huge uh, thing of it. There was big displays of Tesla's polyphase electrical equipment, as it was called and everything. So it got the names of Tesla and Westinghouse out there at this vast exposition that attracted millions of people and all that kind of thing. And that was a moment where, you know, AC's winning. AC's beating Edison's DC systems. A lot of this is to do with the competition to provide lighting for urban areas. That's Initially, it's not about power transmission. It's not about power electrical power for the home. It's about light, street lights. When you get down to it, street lights are a big thing. There you go. <laughs> um, so, I mean, is this very much, is 1893, 1894 very much the zenith of Tesla's fame... I mean, you said this is him. He's now been in America for 10 years. He's now rich beyond belief and uh, famous across America, if not if not the world. Where do things go from there for Nikola Tesla? Uh, I mean, this is, this is really the, the point of uh, Tesla's, Tesla's great. This is the 
the apex of his of his fame and influence in you know the newspapers refer to him as the wizard and all these he's considered a wizard and a magician of all these things that he can do all these ideas that he comes up with so yeah the the journalist Arthur Brisbane in in 1894 uh, commented about Tesla every scientist knows his work and every foolish person included in New York society knows his face uh, so I mean he used to dine he had a table at Delmonico's one of the foremost uh, Restaurants in New, New Did they York. Did not invent the baked Alaska? I don't know. Yeah, actually, I, did I, they? I believe they invented the baked Alaska. Oh, there, there you go. Uh, so he was referred to as you know our foremost electrician, greater than Edison. All these these kind of things, and you know Brisbane. There's a really great kind of account of Brisbane interviewing the journalist Tesla. The, yeah, 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 Tesla at Delmonico's and all that kind of thing. And this, he, he gives a great description of him. Uh, Nikola Tesla is almost the tallest, almost the thinnest, and certainly the most serious man who goes to Delmonico's regularly. He has eyes set very far back in his head. They are rather light. I asked him how he could have such light eyes and be a Slav. He told me that his eyes were once much darker, but that using his mind, a great deal had, a great deal had made them many shades lighter. He's very thin, is more than six feet tall, and weighs less than 140 pounds. He has very big hands. Many able men do. Lincoln is one instance. His thumbs are remarkably big, even for such big hands. They are extraordinarily big. This is a good sign. The thumb is the intellectual part of the hand. Who knew that hand size was such a thing in American history? I mean, given the current presidential election and what's going on there... Um, so, to, to kind of round off our chat about Tesla and Edison, um, I mean, Tesla is not a fan of Tommy, is he? Um, because, I mean, when Edison dies, does, does Tesla not write a really scathing editorial about our obituary of him? Um, well, you know, the rest of the press are writing all these wonderful things about Thomas Edison and what a great inventor he was, and Tesla's like, nah. Yes. So, when Edison dies in 1931, uh, the only negative opinion of Edison in the New York Times was written by Tesla, or was said by Tesla. And, and he commented, He had no hobby, cared for no sort of amusement of any kind, and lived in utter disregard of the most elementary rules of hygiene. His method was inefficient in the extreme, for an immense ground had to be covered to get anything at all unless blind chance intervened. And at first, I was almost a sorry witness of his doings, knowing that just a little theory and calculation would have saved him 90% of the labour. But he had a veritable contempt for book learning and mathematical knowledge, trusting himself entirely to his inventor's instinct and practical American sense. That's, that's a touch harsh. You know, that's clearly, pretty scathing. He'd never heard of not to speak ill of the dead, clearly, at this point. But anyway, so, I mean, Tesla's writing that at a time when he has lost, you know, he's far from his peak. Oh, yeah, yeah way, then. way far from his so, peak. So, what goes wrong with Nikola Tesla? Where does, he, where does he go wrong from this peak in, the, in 1893, 1894? What happens? So, he said, wireless. One word, wireless. So, in 1898, Tesla demonstrates a radio-controlled boat and he tried to interest the US Navy in it for remote-controlled torpedoes. The Navy aren't particularly interested in it. They think he's a bit of a fruitcake. Uh, so he didn't succeed. And he called his radio control system teleautomation, 
And observers were genuinely amazed about this radio-controlled craft whizzing around bodies of water. Like, how is this happening? Uh, and onlookers, uh, the interesting story about onlookers sometimes refused to believe that the boat was controlled by mysterious radio waves. And some suggested that a trained monkey was concealed inside piloting the, the little boat around the place. <laughs> and I was like, that needs to be some well-trained monkey, I must admit. <laughs> uh, so Tesla has been interested for a long time in in wireless, in radio waves and all that kind of thing. Now he's drawing on work of other really important figures in science, everything like Heinrich Hertz and all that kind of thing. Anyway, some of these, another major contribution of Tesla's were early patents on wireless transmission of energy. And he did think about communication as a potential use of wireless, but he was an electrical engineer by trade and he was really interested in power systems. That was one of his obsessions. And he demonstrated that he could make lights work by wirelessly transmitting power to them. And this was his thing. How what? How can I replace wires and all this stuff in modern urban areas? What if we can just wirelessly transmit, draw power out of the air, or draw power out of the earth, actually using it, the earth as a conductor, mm-hmm. to power our homes, to power our factories? And we don't need all these wires and all this nonsense. And that became his big thing, is the wireless, wireless power. Uh, the thing is, this is where you get into the stage of Tesla not really being able to discern between imagination and reality and all that kind of thing. Okay, so it's, it's sort of... He's, he's losing his grip on reality in terms of how to practically apply his image. Because, for example, you know, you have Marconi who uses this sort of wireless idea to essentially, you know, don't contest me here, invent the radio. Uh, or, or, to, or to patent the radio oh, anyway and make... Make that the, fir- the first man to demonstrate wireless telegraphy as a practicable system. Yeah. That's Marconi's contribution. Yeah. Uh, so, but Tesla becomes obsessed by this wireless idea, doesn't he? And he goes away and sets up a couple of different laboratories. Mm-hmm. One is in Colorado Springs. Yeah. So he goes off to, he leaves New York in 1899. And off he goes to Colorado Springs. Uh, you know, a handful of miles from uh, Denver, mm-hmm. maybe 40 or 50 miles from Denver or something like that, in, in Colorado. Uh, now, he'd been kind of invited there by, he had friends and colleagues out there, particularly a guy called Leonard E. Page, uh, who could help him out, give him money, provide him with electricity and all that kind of thing. Uh, and he, he claimed, well, several things. One of these things was his interest in wireless transmission of power. He also claimed that he'd be conducting experiments in wire, wireless telegraphy, what Marconi later proves is possible, uh, from the top of Pikes Peak. The, the mountain near Colorado mm-hmm. Springs, which is now the site of the, the great motorways, the Pikes Peak International Hill Climb. Uh, but he claimed from the top of Pikes Peak, he'd be able to transmit power and communication to Paris. Paris always came up. Uh, mm-hmm. So that was his thing. At this point, he thought he'd worked out the requirements for wireless transmission of power. He thought he'd worked it out. Tesla did a huge amount of work in his head. He conceptualised ideas and formulated ideas and worked out systems and how things would be built and how things would work in his head. That's one of the amazing aspects of his genius. He was a human calculator as well, wasn't he? He had an amazing ability to Mm -hmm. conceptualise. So... On his way to Colorado Springs, he does various press conferences and makes a big thing out of it and everything. He's got plans for wireless power transmission, signalling Mars. Tesla had some interesting ideas about that kind of thing. And then converting atmospheric nitrogen to fertiliser. 
All so these things. Sorry, how have we got from Mars to nitrogen? Nitrogen for fertilizer. <laughs> That's Nikola Tesla. Yeah. Uh, he just comes up with all these ideas. So he says wireless power transmission, signaling Mars, and converting atmospheric nitrogen to fertilizer. These are some of the things uh, that he talks about. Uh, the trouble is that Tesla's work on wireless transmission of power leads him sound down a path of self-delusion. And he had, uh, he had some evidence for the practicality of his d- ideas. He didn't do enough experimental work to actually substantiate them in a really scientific way. Mm-hmm. All this, like, okay, how can I set out to disprove mm-hmm. what I think I've found? So he doesn't actually apply as much of the scientific method as he as he should. He was satisfied in his own mind that he'd worked out the means to transmit power around the world, which leads to the next stage of his career after Colorado Springs. Yeah, where he goes back to New York. Although not New York City, he goes to Long Island. Long Island, Wardenclyffe. Uh, so this is, I mean, this is one of the, the places where you get gilded age money and power, and power in, in multiple senses of the word colliding in, in Tesla's career. So, at Wardenclyffe on, on Long Island, his plan is to build an immensely powerful transmitter that not only will transmit the radio communication, but also to wirelessly transmit power across the Atlantic. Now, Tesla had a lot of really good ideas. And I mean, he was one of the first people to actually talk about this idea of wireless transmission. And it's interesting, but only now getting to the stage of doing wireless, you know, wireless phone charging mm-hmm. and all that kind of thing, you know, Tesla essentially came up with these ideas a hundred odd years ago, mm-hmm. uh, but couldn't quite make them work. Now, he's at Wardenclyffe for a couple of years trying to build this giant facility that's going to do this tower, and he builds it. Uh, between 1901 and 1902, Marconi demonstrates wireless telegraphy, and he shows that wireless communications are possible and practical. What will form the basis of the radio? Yeah, basis of radio. So what happens is... Tesla thinks he's worked out the, you know, the, the basis of wireless transmission of power using both the atmosphere and the earth, and we won't go into the scientific details of it, but he thinks he's worked this all out. Which would be a huge deal. It would be a huge, a massive, massive deal. Uh, now, you have Marconi proving that wireless telegraphy is going to work, and essentially Marconi takes all the glory away from Tesla. That's a simplified version of it, but Marconi gets all the headlines. He's done it. And Tesla is allegedly, and this might be apocryphal, uh, is asked, well, how do you feel about Mr. Marconi doing this? And he's like, I'm fine. He's making use of 17 of my patents. <laughs> that might be an apocryphal statement. It appears in a lot of the biographies of Tesla. But... It gets the certain it, truth. It gets the, it, you know, it's like, did he actually say it? All these mm-hmm. kind of things. So he's being funded at the moment, and this is where kind of Gilded Age, big business comes in. You know, John Pierpoint Morgan, J.P. Morgan, the great financier, one of the richest men in America, and ergo, one of the richest men in the world at the time. And Morgan is funding Tesla because he sees financial a financial outcome from this. This could be a big thing. But because Tesla has kind of deluded himself and not done quite enough experimental work to prove these things work, it doesn't work the way he plans and Tesla gets to gets himself to a point where he's struggling with hang on either I'm wrong or nature is wrong it's me versus the physical world or the mm. scientific the scientific world and because of this because he can't get the Wardenclyffe ideas to work the way he thinks it's going to work 
Because Tesla's wrong about a lot of things, actually. When he challenges certain certain scientific ideas that are coming up at the time, and he's just wrong. He's just wrong about certain things. He looks at stuff and goes, oh, that's not... And what we now know to work is totally at odds with what Tesla actually... Tesla thinks. But he can't, so he has a nervous breakdown because of this. He can't understand. He can't really get to grips with why this is not working. He must be right. He's an immense, immense amount of self-belief and confidence in his own intelligence. Well, he's I, probably, probably by this stage, he's probably had you know countless people tell him that he's one of the, the greatest inventors who have, who have ever lived. Yeah. Well, yeah, exactly. And the thing is, so it doesn't work. And Tesla suffers from a nervous breakdown at this point. You know, in the few years around the Wardenclyffe kind of episode, arguably he never recovers from this. Okay. Arguably, and that is the point about 1905-1906 with Tesla's major nervous breakdown, the failure of Wardenclyffe with Morgan's withdrawal of money, all that kind of thing. Arguably, this is the point in Tesla's lowest point where he has his nerve, major nervous breakdown. Arguably, he never recovers, and his fame certainly never recovers. He starts to slide into semi-obscurity mm-hmm. at this point. Yeah, and just a, a probing, a, a wee question I've got here. How much do you think that is is Tesla harmed at all in terms of reputation against guys like Thomas Edison by the fact that he is an immigrant from a part of the world that Americans are becoming increasingly intolerant towards in the early 20th century. Um, do you think that harms his reputation at all? I mean, because obviously Thomas Edison is, you know, a good old boy from cut, yeah. cut from Americana cloth, whereas Nikola Tesla is, from, you know, is of Serbian descent, and that's a sort of area of the world that starts to become associated with radicalism and everything, especially after the, the Russian Revolution and everything in the 1920s, sorry, the late 1910s. Yeah, I mean, I think, as I said earlier on, one is the one we talked about earlier, you know, the popular myths, Edison invented light bulb, Marconi invented radio. Te- as you said, Tesla's contributions to science and invention are slightly harder to grasp. Saying he perfected the multi-phase alternating current motor generator doesn't exactly trip off the tongue. Uh, so it's therefore harder to grasp why he was so significant. Uh, Segna, I think you're right. Rising nativist sentiment in the first half of the 20th century, uh, Serbia's involvement in World War One, uh, and then we have the Cold War, and I I think this is actually very very important because Tesla dies in 1943. The Cold War kicks off a few years later. While the likes of Edison could be hailed as a great American genius, Tesla's from this strange Balkan country full of radicals that's now under communist control. And he doesn't fit this Cold War narrative of American scientific superiority that underpinned a lot of the stuff that was going on in the Cold War, even if this narrative is generally a false one. Uh, and, And also his name, until now, was never associated with one of the great American corporations. Edison, Bell and Marconi are all founding figures for huge corporations. General Electric, Consolidated Edison, Bell Telephone, all these companies. Until Elon Musk decided to name his car company Tesla, the inventor's name hadn't been associated with a major business venture for nearly a century. Mm -hmm. So I think it's a combination of all of these three three things. You know, the history of our 20th century. Uh, Nativism... It's not easy to associate Tesla with what exactly he did and also his non-association as one of the great founding figures of a major business interest that's still with us today. Okay, and so wrap, wrap up uh, the the final years of his life for me and where this death ray um, comes from that you mentioned in the opening vignette. Yeah, so 
Tesla is, as I said, semi-obscurity. He still gets newspaper headlines. He holds a press conference every year to hold forth on his views on technological and scientific development. Uh, and he becomes in- increasingly kind of odd in his habits. Uh, he becomes very thin and very pale because he ends up basically subsisting on a diet of milk, honey and vegetable juices. Sounds nutritious. Yes. Uh, so he lives in, in a number of hotels. Finally, the Hotel New Yorker. Uh, now, he's not living in poverty. A lot of people think that there's a popular kind of idea that, you know, the emaciated later life Tesla is because of he was living in poverty and obscurity and all that. He wasn't. He still had money coming in from patents. And the Westinghouse company, out of a kind of lingering sense that they'd perhaps done badly by their chief inventor of many years ago, paid his rent. Mm-hmm. And gave him a small consultancy fee because Tesla didn't like charity, yeah. so they pay him hundred something like one hundred twenty five dollars a month as a consultancy fee just mm-hmm. to, you know, to keep him going. So he's not living in complete poverty. Uh, so he doesn't quite film, fit the film narrative of the rise and complete fall. In no, not not quite. Uh, so, so stop st- stop stalling. Get to the death. Get rate. to the Everybody death. Everybody wants to know about the so, death rate. Yeah, in nineteen thirty four. Uh, at his uh, birthday press conference, the kind of thing he did every year. Uh, he said uh, he could send concentrated beams of particles through the free air of such tremendous energy that they will bring down a fleet of 10,000 enemy airplanes at a distance of 250 miles from a defending nation's border and will cause armies of millions to stop dead in their tracks. Uh, and he also said uh, his new death ray would surround each country like an invisible Chinese wall, only a million times more impenetrable. It would make every nation impregnable against attack by airplanes or by large invading armies. Now, Tesla has... There's two death rays associated with Tesla. It's his initial death ray, which he called a particle beam. Now, we have particle beams now, Mm -hmm. but not as weapons, as scientific instruments. What Tesla proposed was electromagnetically accelerated tiny, tiny uh, bits of something like tungsten. Uh, that would be used to shoot down aircraft and all that kind of thing, hyper accelerated kind of more like actually what we would now think of as an electromagnetic railgun. Okay. Not the same as an electromagnetic railgun, but a similar kind of idea. But then towards the very, very end of his life, he postulates something slightly different. He postulates what he calls teleforce, which he claims is going to be this. This is a real death rate. His original idea of the particle beam was slightly different, but this is a real death ray. Of like, it will just this beam of energy, like the basically it's the Death Star. He says he can invent a Death Star. So by this by this point, he's like Tesla's well and truly off the deep end. Then, in, um, t- in terms of as an inventor, he's 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 finished after the nervous breakdown and everything. Well, he's been. So Tesla, Tesla has been, uh, he's not invented anything major for a long, long time. He's not invented anything major. He comes up with the occasional little idea and everything that's out there and he gets patents on it and all that kind of thing. But uh, he's not invented anything major. The death rate is his big thing. The trouble is, uh, I mean, this generates a huge amount of publicity. He tries to interest uh, the US government in it, not interested. The British government, not interested. The Soviets, uh, through uh, Armand Hammer's, Amtorg Corporation, which trades with the Soviet Union. So he tries to get the Soviets interested in this, all this kind of thing. Uh, and it generates, a, in, in 1934, his original death ray particle beam kind of proposal generates a huge amount of publicity. But 
he contacts all these governments and he gets involved with a whole bunch of shady characters. And the shadiest of them all is the brilliantly named Hungarian architect Titus de Bobula. Titus de Bobula. Titus, Titus de Bobula, who drew up architectural plans for the Death Ray Tower. The Death Star, essentially. Uh, which who Tesla had kind of befriended many decades before when, when de Bobula was just a youth. Uh, but they parted ways, as a brilliant story, in 1935, uh, when de Bobula, as uh, Tesla's biographer Bernard Carlson says, de Bobula tried to borrow money from Tesla and to get him involved in a deal selling arms to Paraguay. Because why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you sell arms to Paraguay? So, uh, we've, we've sort of traced uh, the, the rise and, uh, and set, I mean, at least intellectual fall of Nikola Tesla. I just want to touch on one theme of his life. Is it true that Tesla was celibate for his entire life? There is no evidence that he had... There's no direct evidence of having sexual relations at any point in his life. He always claimed not to have had sexual relations. He didn't, you know, want to engage in that kind of because it took away from his inventorly capabilities and all that kind of thing. Uh, the best the best work on this is the most recent biography of T- Tesla, W. Bernard Carlson's. Mm-hmm. Uh, book about it, which is easily called Tesla, Inventor of the Electrical Age. Uh, it's Princeton University Press. Easily the best biography of Tesla because a lot of them tend towards the hagiographic and lauditory. And this mm-hmm. actually looks at Tesla as the very flawed, complicated individual mm-hmm. uh, that, he, that he really was. He never married and never appeared to have any romantic or sexual relationships with any woman. Although he was considered very charming and charismatic and did attract women's attention, especially in this period of his greatest fame. So this was covered quite a lot by newspapers and the tabloids and all that kind of thing uh, at the time. Uh, and he, Tesla had a very complex attitude towards women. I mean, at times he puts them on a pedestal. And then uh, in, later on in his life, he writes articles that suggest women might well be the superior sex. He predicts uh, a matriar- future matriarchal society. Uh, and he told a Serbian reporter in 1927, I have never touched a woman. As a student and while vacationing at my parents' home in Lika, I fell in love with one girl. She was tall, beautiful, and had extraordinary, understandable eyes. But there's no evidence that he ever engaged in relationships with women. So, just to touch on one other theme before we begin to round up. You, you mentioned at the start that Tesla believes in eugenics. That he is a survival of the fittest believer. <laughs> How do we square this in Tesla's legacy? I mean, eugenics is a, you know, it's a, quite frankly, it's a horrid belief. You know, it's this idea that there is, you know, this different level of races and how, how you know, whether, whether they are the better race. You mm. know? I think we can, I, think, I don't think we need to square it. I would suggest that we can still look at Tesla and, you know, see him as the, the incredibly important and influential figure that he is. But while at the same time recognising he was a deeply flawed individual and, you know, eugenics and his ideas about selective breeding are part of that, those deep-seated flaws mm-hmm. that you can, you can admire someone without admiring everything that they stand for. And I think Tesla is a good, a good example of that. And he, I mean, he wasn't alone in, I mean, eugenics and selective breeding were ridiculously you know, sure. po- popular at the time, so many people uh, in the in the United States supported ideas of selective breeding of eugenics and everything. You know, people involved in in healthcare and science and government, all that kind of thing. But that's not excusing these views. Mm. 
But you can you can look at Tesla and say, okay, he's a very deeply flawed individual, deeply flawed views. But also on the other hand, he did great things as well. True, and I think that that the, the sort of eugenics thing is what jars against this. You know, you were saying that a lot of books have been written recently that were hagiographies, basically yeah. just you know praising Tesla, and that's that was a primary purpose. Like I, I think those sort of things, it would be hard to write a hagiography. I mean, you just have to miss them out and pretend that they didn't happen. But I think that's where where Carlson does such a great job with his biography. It is. It, it's Tesla, the flawed individual. It's not yep. Tesla, the, the amazing, you know, untouchable scientific genius. It's mm-hmm. Tesla as a as a deeply flawed, deeply complex individual. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like his views on on women. Uh, if you look, and sadly, I have looked at some of the comments from the of so called men's rights activists who've taken some of them have taken Tesla as kind of look. He predicted the. You know, the way that men are suffering in our modern world under the you know cultural Marxist matriarchal lash of you know feminism and all that, and you're like, oh really, really, uh, seriously. Uh, so he's been taken on board by a diverse amount of groups who today have abhorrent and quite frankly stupid views. Uh, and it annoys me that they use Tesla to try and uh, back up their worldview. I get sick of you pulling your punches sometimes, Mark. Yeah, sorry. No, uh, so. Um, so we've we've already discussed why language in a relative obscurity. Um, so let's touch on why why he's came back all of a sudden. And I'm assuming it's not just because men's rights groups have taken, Thankf- have taken on his Thankfully language. not. Two words, the internet. The internet, I think. Now, Tesla did go through a brief resurgence in the 1970s when uh, advocates of alternative energy, because of the energy crisis, global energy crisis, oil crises in the 1970s, uh, advocates of alternative energy sources and free energy and all these kind of things kind of rediscovered Tesla because he had all these ideas about drawing energy from the earth and all these kind of things. And they, and they go, oh, this guy predicted we we're going to use Tesla's idea and try and get this idea of free energy and we're going to avoid the power crisis that we're facing. So he had this resurgence in the 1970s as, the, as this you know, figure uh, for the alternative energy movement. But I would suggest it's really the rise of the internet and easy access to information that allowed people to find out more and more easily about about Tesla. And also, going back to my secular electrical Jesus kind of thing, it allows people to imprint their own ideas on Tesla. You could, if you want to take a very simplistic view, in our era of the internet and you know laptops and mobile phones and everything, it's very easy to go, Tesla invented and predicted all of this. Our world is based on Tesla. And it's true that much of our modern electrical existence is based on stuff that Tesla did, but he wasn't alone. There were so many other people working on similar stuff and doing similar things. It's an you know, agglomeration of all the stuff. But it, he's a figure that people love these kind of tragic... He's a tragic hero. He's a tragic, flawed hero. And people love that kind of thing. And because he, le- he languished in semi-obscurity for such a long time, people go, look, I've rediscovered this guy and let's talk about it and everything. And he becomes you know, popular in cartoons. It was a great cartoon uh, by a, a webcomic called The Oatmeal. There's this huge long thing about why Te- Tesla is the greatest geek who ever lived. Now, it's very entertaining. It's not entirely accurate. It's pretty wrong at points, but it's still very entertaining. Okay. So, so it's not just the fact that, as my conclusion was drawn, that, you know, 
to- the Tesla is a hipster as Thomas Edison. Um, he's gone beyond hipsterism. Yeah. Tesla Motors. Yeah. There's there's a thing now when you say Tesla, people think of the car, but but people will want to know more about Tesla yeah. the man. But I should point out that he has almost always been a big figure in Serbia. Mm-hmm. He's been a major Serbian national hero for a long for a long time. So we should be we're talking we're taking a very kind of you know Western European transatlantic American, Ameri- Ameri- American point of view. But for for Serbia, Tesla is a is a major a major national hero and has been for some time. Okay, well I think that's a nice note to end on. Thank you very much for sharing your wealth of knowledge about something that I knew very little about <laughs> and I imagine that many of our listeners knew very little about. So uh, I hope you you all all there. Yeah, I hope all you listeners enjoyed that as much as I did. Um, so that's us for this week uh, or this month. Even we shall be back same time next month, and we'll be discussing alcohol prohibition, um, which sounds like a horrid thing, and we're going to investigate whether it was or not. Excellent. I look forward to discussing that potentially over a drink. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Thank you very much, Malcolm. And thank you very much, Mark. Cheerio. Cheerio.